Good morning. I'm glad you're joining us this morning online at Church in the Valley. In this series, we have looked at the reverential awe that defines the fear of the Lord. We looked in the second week how we trust the Lord by putting our confidence in him alone. Last week, we looked at humility and how it's at its core a godly deference. This week, we're going to learn from Scripture the fourth attitude of success, which is teachability. All these attitudes we're looking at are highly correlated in the Scriptures with success. These are attitudes that we can choose, adopt, and live out that God blesses. So what is teachability? Well, it it is what it sounds like. It means you're able to be taught. According to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, teachability is capable of being taught, apt and willing to learn. There's a willingness that's crucial. <clears throat> it's not a mental ability. It's not about smarts or intelligence. It's really a disposition of your heart. It's an emotional, mental preset that you are willing to learn uh, from God in the ways that he has prescribed for us to learn. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end, you will be wise. Now, in the Bible, Wisdom is a big word that has many different facets to it. It means skilled. It means capable, effective, successful. In the Bible, wisdom assumes that your ways are righteous and just. And with righteous and just ways, you also have a a wisdom, an ability to make successful plans and execute those plans. This is something we all want. We want to be successful. And teachability is a crucial component. I recently watched... Tom Brady, who has won six Super Bowl rings, do an interview on his career now that he's retired. They asked him if he was motivated uh, to be better than everyone else, if that's what was the secret of his success. And he said, no, the secret to his success, the keys to his success, was he was disciplined, he was teachable, and he was continually improving his game. He said that he was never a child prodigy, the number one kid with all the best Uh, skills that every scout would say, this is going to be a future all-star. But there were some things in him, discipline, teachability, and a continual improvement that he attributed to his success. He spent much of the interview praising all of his coaches, starting all the way back with his youngest coaches as a kid, his parents, to high school, college, and then even Bill Belichick, who was the coach of the New England Patriots. So teachability over time, not only was... uh, Tom Brady, the oldest quarterback to start in an NFL game, but many consider him to be the best quarterback to play in NFL history. And so we see that even for him, this was a crucial attitude that he adopted. Now, I was a swimmer my whole childhood, and I swam through high school and college. And I was good as a youth, but I hit a plateau. I hit a a level that I couldn't quite get past. And when I went to college, I improved a little bit, but I still wasn't swimming at my full potential. My senior year, I went to USC to work with a stroke coach who basically tore my stroke apart. He gave me nothing but correction, bad news. He would just point out my weaknesses. He'd say, see right there, that's your weakness. It was not positive. But then he told me the disciplines that I could do every day, every stroke, every practice. And if I did these things, he said that I would swim faster than I had ever swum before. I believed him. I did what he said, and he was right. I dropped more time in that final season than I had dropped in all the previous seasons before. And the reason why was because he had knowledge and he had understanding that I did not have. So why be teachable? 
Because the things that I know are so limited. And the things that I don't know are unlimited. But my whole life up until that point, I had not been teachable. I was in constant conflict with my coaches, resisting their instruction. But when I was saved and I came to Christ uh, my sophomore year in, in college, the excuses and the complaining uh, was replaced by God with an attitude of teachability, a willingness to learn and listen. And so I went as far as my talents and my opportunities would take me, but then I got stuck. And God helped me break through, break through that with a, a good coach. So the question I have for you is, are you stuck? Have you hit a plateau in your life? Is there some area where you're seeing things declining? They're trending flat or they're going in the wrong direction? Probably. And if not, just give it time because we all hit plateaus in our lives. It could be your health. It could be with your money. It could be in your marriage or family or career, a relationship. It could be that you feel like you've hit a plateau or you're declining emotionally or spiritually. We all get stuck, and I've been stuck in all of those areas. But here's the good news. God has all wisdom, all knowledge, and all happiness. They are his to give. And he can give it to you. And he will give it to you, but you have to do something. There are conditions. So what are those conditions? Well, the Lord tells us. He says, to the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. God gives these things. To who? To the man who pleases him. So the question is, what pleases God? And we find the answer to that question throughout the scriptures. But here's something God says. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. In another place, the Lord says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. And so in these two passages, we see that faith and humility Please, God. And faith, as we've seen the first two weeks of this series, faith is a two-sided coin. And on one side is the fear of the Lord. And on the other side is trust in the Lord. So as we adopt an attitude of faith and humility, we are opening ourselves up to the wisdom, knowledge, and happiness that God wants to give us. Faith, fearing, and trusting God. We fear God. We revere him enough to give him all of our attention listening to him when he speaks. And when he speaks, we believe his words. We believe them enough to depend on them, to stand on them and obey them. We believe what he says about us. We believe what he says about him. And because we believe what he says about us and him, we are humbled because we see his greatness and we see our lowliness. We see his holiness and we see our unholiness. We see his power and we see our powerlessness. We hear him. We understand him. And so we accurately see God and ourselves. And so we choose humility. And these two things, faith and humility, put us in a position to learn from God in the ways that he has determined to teach us. This is why we must be teachable. God has decided to teach you. He will teach you through his word, through his world, and through his people. These are the channels through which God teaches us. Now, those are the rules. I didn't make them. You didn't make them. But since God is the one who has the wisdom, knowledge, and happiness, and he's promised to give them to those who please him, we should be listening to him on how we are to please him. And we are to be humble, and we are to be faithful, and that means we are to be teachable. If you accept the way God chooses to give us wisdom, then you respond accordingly. If you're a me and my Bible kind of person, where it's just you and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, that's not going to cut it. That's not how God has chosen to teach us. Just me by myself, kind of lone ranger Christian. 
Or if you're a by-myself guy, where I'm just going to do it all myself in my own strength and my own wisdom, that's not faith. If I make up my mind and I say, here's where I'm going, and here's the route that I'm taking, and here's the speed that I'm going to drive, but I'll get advice about which gas station to stop at and fill up my car, that's not teachability. That's unbelief. You've already decided where you're going to go, how you're going to get there, what speed you're going to travel, and you're just asking for advice to check a box. And we can do this because we want what we want, and we're worried that if we ask people for advice and input, they may tell us that's not what God wants. And we may not be able to do what we want to do. Some Christians, they get stuck. They stop growing in wisdom because they hit an age or stage where they aren't teachable anymore. They may have had a great run in college or their 20s. They get really pumped about their faith. They're hungry, they're teachable, and they're learning for a while. Maybe they were part of a great student ministry, and they, they, they were open, and they set things up in their lives really good, really straight according to the Bible in one area of life. But then they hit their 30s, or maybe it's their 40s or 50s or 60s, and they've heard all the greatest hits from the pastors. They've heard those verses. They, they've heard this before from their mentors or their parents or whoever. And they begin to think that hearing and doing are the same thing. Something that has switched in them so that they're not able to be teach, uh, taught anymore. Rather, they want to be teachers. Then stuckness sets in. They get stuck. They get hit with stuckness. They hit a plateau or they start to decline in the area of their life. It could be in their career or their marriage. It could be with their kids. It could be spiritually or in their holiness or their effectiveness in ministry. They just get stuck. It could be navigating long-term relationships or how they handle an opportunity that comes up. It could be all sorts of things where they get stuck. But they stop learning. They stop humbling. They stop being teachable. Then, as inevitably will happen, the next trial comes in their life some unexpected difficulty, an unexpected fruit begins to grow in their life. Fruit from sin, fruit from folly. So we all have blind spots, right? Areas of our life, things about us that we don't even know. Everybody else knows it, but we don't know it. We have sins that we don't see, right? Do we think that sin just stays frozen? That it doesn't grow bitter fruit? Don't sins grow harvests of horrible, disgusting, and broken things? So here comes the trouble, but the teachability, the habits that we needed ended in our 20s or our 30s or our 40s or wherever it was we decided that we no longer need to be teachable, but now we're going to be teachers. Now we can do it on our own. And whenever it was that we decided, those habits of teachability are gone. And instead of teachability, we've adopted a different attitude because there's no neutral when it comes to your attitude. You're either one thing or another, but you're always going to have an attitude. So if you reject an attitude of teachability, you replace it with pride, or maybe laziness, or maybe it's bitterness or envy. Faith is replaced with unbelief, and good fruit is replaced with bad fruit. Some people, they're teachable in one area of their life, but they're not teachable in another area. That area is off limits to the Lord. They're teachable on how to do a quiet time and read the Bible in the morning, or how to fix a relationship, or how, how to do something else, but they're not teachable when it comes to managing their household. They're teachable when it comes to something that they want to get or something they want to achieve or something they want to change, but not in an area of life where we do not want to change. And over time, the more of life you build, the harder it is to be teachable, the greater the price that we pay for making changes. And why? Why do we pay a greater price the more of life we live in an unteachable way? 
Because the teachability, because to be teachable in your 40s or in your 50s or in your 60s, for example, means asking, why did this happen? Where did this bad fruit come from? Why are my kids like this? Why are my finances like this? Why is my health like this? Why are my emotions like this? Why is my relationship like this? You pick it. And that's a slippery slope. When you start asking, why is this happening? That is a slippery slope. Because we all know that once you start asking why, there's another why right behind it. And why did I choose to do that? Well, because of this. Well, who said that was smart? And pretty soon, being teachable means that I have to repent of years of thinking and foolish living. Maybe something that's become a big part of my identity I have to repent of. Maybe it's something that I really enjoy doing and I don't want to let go of. I'm repenting of my foolishness, my sinful living. I've got mold in the walls and I've got to tear it all down to the studs. I've got to start over in this area where I've been foolish. And that is very humbling. And then there's a fear and anxiety that sets in. If I do that, if I start over, if I tear it all down, if I'm humble and honest, I'm going to have to take a huge loss. All that I invested, all that I did, all of my ways, I'm going to have to take a huge loss. So who's going to take care of me then? And that requires faith, fearing God and trusting him to take care of you. Obeying God, being teachable, and trusting him with the outcome. Think about Blockbuster Video. It was the biggest uh, movie rental company in America. Why didn't Blockbuster Video change their business model to compete with Netflix and Redbox? That was slowly eating their market share. There were many mid-level managers that were warning the executives in Blockbuster that these were real competitors in the market. But the changes that Blockbuster would have had to have made would have meant short-term losses. But it would have made the business viable for the long-term. Those long-term benefits, they were not willing to go for by suffering short-term losses, by making changes that they needed. They rejected the voices of people saying, hey, we've got to change our business model. And as a result, Blockbuster went for bankruptcy. Resetting the bone in an area of your life, it takes short-term pain. Some people are just willing to live with the limp for years. So are you stuck? Have you hit a plateau? Are you or some area of your life in decline? Things are trending flat or they're going in the wrong direction, maybe. Wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. These are the things that we need. God gives them to those who in faith and humility choose teachability. And this is why it makes sense for you and I to study God's word for this direction on our attitude. So what does teachability involve? Well, there, there's a, a, a chart on your screen, and I've, I've placed things that you do based on the scriptures if you're teachable and things you don't do if you're teachable. The first thing you do is you pay attention. You listen closely to instruction. In the Proverbs, it says, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. We are being commanded to listen, to give our undivided attention, to study, to remember God's word, his wise sayings, to accept the understandings that God is giving us. And he gives them to us through various channels. But the primary means is his word. 
We want to line our lives up with the scriptures. We want to live out the scriptures. We want to make the scriptures the operating system of our life. The alternative is to be unteachable and to talk when instruction is given. Proverbs 10.8 says, The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Now, when my kids were little, we would have dinner, and we'd be talking and trying to teach them how to listen to each other and have conversation. But, you know, they're little kids, and it's very normal for them to just want to talk and talk and talk and take all the time and take all the conversational space. We call that stealing the sound. So even after a child might talk, then after they're done talking, they'll, they'll keep making comments to keep attention on them. And that's very normal, stealing the sound. Always talking. And one of the reasons why we do this, why we talk instead of listen, is we're trying to block the commands. We're trying to block input. We're trying to control the conversation from talking about a subject that we don't want to talk about. The unteachable are very uncomfortable with silence. Silence poses a risk because in the silence, someone may speak the word of God. Someone may speak wisdom. Someone may give correction. Someone may point their finger at something that needs to change and we don't want to. And so the way that we protect ourselves from those commands is we talk. We steal the sound. The second thing you do when you're teachable is you accept instruction and commands. Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Kobe Bryant was a basketball player who was very successful in the NBA. And every year after the season was over with, most basketball players would go on vacation, take a break, enjoy themselves, but not Kobe Bryant. He wanted to get better and better every single year. Now, I'm not saying Kobe Bryant is a model for your life in every area. Certainly he had his sins that he paid for and the consequences that affected his family. But when it came to basketball, other players who played with him and players in the league said there was no one who worked harder than Kobe Bryant. And one of the things that's interesting is in his early years, he would find great all-star basketball players who had retired, who had moves that he didn't have, even if they were in a different position than him, and he would ask them if they would teach him how to do what they did. So here's a picture on the screen. It's not very clear, but it's of Kobe Bryant with Hakeem Olajuwon who was an NBA all-star player who played center. Now, Kobe didn't play center, but Hakeem was showing Kobe some of the moves that he had perfected. He was teachable. He accepted the instruction. He wanted to understand it. He didn't just say, hey, I'd love to hear some, some, some pointers and make a phone call. He flew to Houston. He spent several weeks with Hakeem Olajuwon accepting the instruction. The opposite would be to ignore instruction. That's something that we could do. Proverbs says, whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. If we ignore instruction, if we don't listen to reproof, we're not being teachable. Now, reproof is a strong word in the Bible. There are several other terms, synonymous terms, that kind of bring out the meaning of this word. Criticism, like a Yelp review. Arguments being made against you. Reprimands, blame, complaint, insults. Now, I, I don't want to be insulted. I don't want to be criticized, especially if it's not fair. The, the, the scripture is not saying you have to accept all of the reproofs if they're not true. It says, listen to them and you will gain intelligence. And there are reviews of restaurants that are not very flattering, but they may have a kernel of truth in them, something that they could change to make the restaurant better. You may have a harsh, co harsh coach or a parent who's saying something that's being communicated in a way that feels like reproof, like a reprimand. But what they're saying is true. And our job as teachable people is to listen for the truth and then to apply it. God is often testing us. Sometimes he comes with correction in the form of a human hammer. And it hurts. It's painful. 
But there is truth in it. We need to learn from it, and we need to make the necessary adjustments. The third thing you do when you're teachable is you remember the teaching. You remember. My son, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. We remember. If we hear the instruction, listen, and we accept the instruction, but we forget it over and over and over again, we're not going to break free from the plateaus. We're not going to reverse the decline. We're not going to get out of stuckness. We have to remember it. The alternative to that would be to scornfully reject instruction with disdain. Proverbs 13, 13 says, Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Now, in this context, he's talking about the word of God. We should revere it. We should accept it. We should value it. But some people are scornful. They reject instruction out of hand. They just, they're not going to be teachable. They're not going to listen. They don't respect authorities. They don't want to hear it. The fourth thing we have to do is we have to apply instruction. James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Many times Christians get stuck because they've heard it all and they remember the sermon and they read that verse and they heard their parents say this thing. But that's not doing. That's just hearing. If you can repeat the command, but you don't do the command, there's not going to be any blessing in it. There's an interesting story. In World War II, when the Japanese attacked us at Pearl Harbor, they didn't just attack us at Pearl. They attacked uh, several major powers across the South Pacific. The Japanese launched the largest amphibious attack in the history of naval warfare, over a million square miles at the same time. They hit us, they hit the Dutch, they hit the French, they hit the British, and they did it simultaneously. And nobody thought that was possible because the Navy couldn't be spread out like that. Now, this, this plan of attack, and I don't endorse it, but this plan of attack was highly effective. And the man who came up with this plan of attack was a man named Admiral Yamamoto. And he was not the top guy, but he was one of the younger up-and-coming uh, leaders. And one of the things he did was when the, the Germans began to bomb England with their, with their air force, this was the first time that airfare, air warfare was really used in a significant way. And so he sent some of his officers to England to watch and see how effective this approach was. And when those officers came back, they insisted that everything about Japanese naval doctrine had changed, that the aircraft carriers, which had airplanes on them that could fly out 400 miles, that they should be in the front of the spear, the tip of the spear. In the past, the aircraft carriers were always in the back. You'd have the destroyers, and you'd have the cruisers, and they would do the fighting, and at the end, here comes the aircraft carriers with the cleanup. But this was a revelation to them about how effective air warfare was. And so they, they kept fighting and telling Yamamoto, we have to reorient our Navy. And Yamamoto was fighting with a higher command that this would be a better approach. And so he had a war game that he set up in the Tokyo Harbor, where he had some planes fighting against their cruisers and battleships, and they could all see that one plane could sink an entire battleship. And so the Japanese retooled their navy so that they were able to greatly expand the area in which they could simultaneously attack. And it was effective, highly effective. They applied the principles that they had learned. But then the alternative is whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. There are those people who resist instruction, they're stiff-necked, and they're hard-hearted. Now, the same Admiral Yamamoto told the Japanese high command that they should not attack America because America would see it as a sneak attack, they would see it as a punch in the back, it would make America angry, they would enter the war, and their productive might would just destroy Japan. But they didn't listen. They didn't believe him. They didn't, they didn't want to hear what he was saying. And so the Japanese decided to attack. They attacked the United States, and four years later, Japan was destroyed. We need to apply what we've learned, 
we need to resist being stiff-necked and really listen so that we can understand things as they actually are. Teachability is a shortcut to success. Now, this begs the question, who do I learn from? Okay, if I want to be teachable in these ways, if I want to listen and accept and remember and apply, who is it that I should be teachable to? In one sense, you can learn from anyone and anything. The writer of Proverbs learns from ants and lizards. The writer of the Psalms learns from the stars. The heavens declare the glory of God, right? Balaam, who was a prophet sent uh, by the king Balak to curse Israel, he learned from a donkey that God caused to talk. But one of the warnings we receive in scripture is collecting teachers who tell us what we want to hear. We collect people around us who are actually giving us bad advice because we want to hear that. Remember Absalom, I'm sorry, Rehoboam, the king of Israel, the son of Solomon. After Solomon died, the people came to Rehoboam the king. They said, listen, the taxes are too high. The work is too much. Lighten the load for us. We'll serve you forever. And so he went and he spoke to some young men who were his friends and his father's older elder advisors. It says in 1 Kings, the king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men. He gathered around him people who told him what he wanted to hear. He went with the bad advice of the young men rather than listening to the advice of the gray hairs, and it cost him his kingdom. In the New Testament, Paul writes, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, good thinking, solid reasoning, things based on truth. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. This is always a temptation for us, selecting people to give us input because we know they're going to tell us what we want to think. Or not talking to people who may ask questions and point out good things that might block what we desire. And nowadays with the cell phone, we can gather ourselves a whole collection of pastors and teachers and influencers that we listen to. And the YouTube and the online algorithms will feed you more and more and more of the same people saying the same things. And pretty soon that's what you think. But you are completely cut off from wise and judicious advisors. So who do we learn from? God has not only told us to be teachable, but he has created channels through which his teaching will come. So children are to learn from their parents. If you're a child, God intends for you to learn from your parents. When you're little, you are to obey. As you're older, you are to honor and listen because they have wisdom and they love you. Proverbs 1 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Are you listening to your parents? Are you accepting what they're teaching you? Are you remembering what they said? Are they constantly having to correct you because you keep forgetting the commands? You keep forgetting to do what they're telling you to do. Are you applying? Are you obeying what they're saying? Or if you're older, you're a teenager, or you're in college, and you're asking your parents for advice, are you asking them for advice? Or are you going it on your own? Just you and Jesus. You're going to figure it out. We should listen and accept and remember and apply what our parents teach us. Number two, we should learn young women from older women. This is one of the ways that God teaches us. Titus 2 says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. So training the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. God is saying younger women are supposed to learn from older women. Older women are supposed to teach younger women. And God prescribes the curriculum. 
He tells older women the content of their instruction. Here are the things I want you to teach younger women. And so one of the ways, if you're a younger woman, that you can learn God's wisdom, one of the ways you can be teachable and receive the instruction God wants to give you is having relationships, listening to, accepting, remembering, and applying what older women teach you. Same for older men and younger men. Another arrangement is wives to husbands. Wives are to learn from their husbands. It says in 1 Corinthians 14.35, If they, meaning wives, want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. The idea is, is that as they gather in worship, if there's something they want to learn about more related to spiritual things, they should start by asking their husbands. It's right there in the scriptures. This is one of the ordained ways that God is going to instruct you if you're a wife. But wait a minute, my husband can't learn from me? No, he can. Because it also says that Christians can learn and should learn from one another. So children should learn from their parents, older women to younger women, older men to younger men, wives learning from their husbands, and then Christians are supposed to teach one another. Romans 15, I myself, Paul says, am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. In the body of Christ, we're to be teaching and admonishing one another on how to live out our faith in accordance with God's word. And so this is how we learn. Then there are church churches who are called to learn from their pastors and leaders. 1 Timothy 3.2 says about elders, overseers. Now an overseer is to be able to teach. What does that imply? Overseers are teachers. Who are they teaching? The congregation. And then in Ephesians it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So God has given pastors and teachers and leaders to teach the church. He's given uh, Christians to one another to teach his brothers and sisters. He wants wives to learn from their husbands. He wants older women to teach younger women and older men to teach younger men. He wants children to learn from their parents. If you're any one of those things, God has told you not only to be teachable, but who to be teachable to. And it's all grounded in his word to learn how to walk and think and live biblically. Now, if you do this, if you choose an attitude of humility and you choose to learn from those that God has given you, what are the promises that God has made to the teachable? Well, listen to this. This is from Proverbs again, chapter 6. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and this teaching is a light. And the corrections, the reproof of discipline, are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. What God is saying in this passage is that he will lead you. He will protect you. He will give you insight. He will give you life. He will deliver you. Because there's all sorts of traps and snares that are being set by our enemies. How do we avoid them? By being teachable and learning in the ways that God has called us to learn. Another promise, and these promises that I'm going to list now, I've already read these verses earlier in the sermon. I have the references in the handout that's attached to this message online. And you've already read through these verses with me, so you can go back and see that this is, in fact, what God is promising. But I'd like to summarize some of the promises that God makes to you if you choose an attitude of teachability. In addition to leading and protection and insight in life and deliverance, 
Proverbs 3 says that God will give you a longer and more peaceful life. Would you like that? Lots of people are chasing long life today, doing all sorts of things to extend their days. But they're not usually calling us to be teachable in faith. Or rewards. God says that he rewards those who are teachable in Proverbs 13. What rewards? The best rewards. Because we have the best God, a loving God with all power and all authority who owns everything and can do anything. And he is promising to reward you if you choose teachability. He also promises understanding. That means it's like seeing inside of the machine, understanding all the pieces that are making this thing occur, having an insight into what's really going on, how it all really works so that you can make the best plans. you got a problem. You're stuck. You're in decline. You've hit a plateau. You need understanding. We go to uh, mechanics with our cars because they have understanding. We go to doctors with our bodies because they have understanding. We talk to wise people because they have understanding. Would you like to have understanding? Would you like to be able to see underneath the surface as to what is causing these things and how you can better get the things that you're after in faith? That understanding comes to you if you choose teachability. Then there's life and health to your body. That's what Proverbs 4 says. And wisdom. Wisdom. The ability to make plans that are pleasing to God and be successful in accomplishing those plans. These are just some of the promises that God is holding out for you if you will choose an attitude of teachability. And don't forget, that includes receiving his instruction through the channels that God has determined to teach you through. Sometimes we think, well, I'll be teachable and I'll go do it. I'll ask for wisdom and then I'll figure it out on my own and God will bring it to me. And we don't want to submit to the way that God brings teachability or wisdom into our lives. And those are the relationships that I previously mentioned. So as we wrap up, I want you to take some next steps. I want you to respond to this message with faith. And that means having heard what God said and understanding what he said, you believe what he said. Enough to take action, to stand on it, to walk in it. So here are some things you can do to respond in faith to these truths. Number one, you can admit to God where you've been unteachable and ask for his forgiveness. The first move in going from folly to wisdom, from sin to righteousness, from pride to teachability, from stuckness to being unstuck, is confession and repentance. You say to God, in my marriage, in my finances, with my attitude, with my anger, with my kids, with this thing, with that thing, that's stuck. I confess that I haven't been teachable. I haven't asked anybody. I haven't really sought out your will. I'm not really trying to learn what's going on here. I admit it. In this specific area, God, I'm frustrated in my marriage. I'm I'm frustrated with my brother and sister. I'm not quite making progress in my career. My health keeps going badly. Is there something that I'm not learning? Is it am I not being teachable in some way? Would you show me? And then ask for forgiveness. Number two, resolve to learn what God's word says about the area I'm stuck in. We want to understand everything God has said about every area of life. And that means study. And so I make a resolution. I make a commitment. I will not stop until I understand what God has said about this area of my life. And pick that area and begin to work on it. Because teachability is an attitude, so it bleeds out into all the rest of your life. It's like when you put a tea bag into a hot cup of water. Slowly the tea seeps into all of that cup of water. And that's how teachability works as an attitude. If you choose to be teachable in one area, you will find that the Holy Spirit will expand that into other areas. So you pick one area that you're stuck in, one area that you hit a plateau, one area that's in decline, and you 
resolve to learn what God's word says, you admit to being unteachable before, and then you ask for advice about the area that you're stuck in. Well, who do I ask? If you're a child, ask your parent. If you're a younger woman, ask an older woman, or a younger man, ask an older man. If you are a wife, ask your husband. If you're a brother or sister in Christ, ask your brothers and sisters who seem to be having success in that area or who has overcome something that you're stuck in. Ask your pastors and teachers who God has given you to equip you and to bless you. When you ask those people and you listen and you accept and you remember and you apply, you will find that you break free. You break through. You can reverse the decline. God will bless you with these things that he's promised. And then finally, you may realize that this God that I'm speaking of is awesome. That you want the God of God, the only God, the one true God to be your God. You want to be a Christian. You want to be a daughter or son who has a loving father who's going to direct you and protect you and provide for you. So how do I do that? You declare that Jesus is Lord. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You understand who you are. You understand who God is. You see your sin and you do not want to stand before God and pay the price for your sin. You confess your sin and receive Christ's death, burial, and resurrection in your place. You ask God to make you born again, to give you his spirit, to wash away your sins, and to adopt you into his family. To give you eternal life. You want that. Not based on anything good that you've done, but based on the righteousness of Jesus. So you declare Jesus is Lord. The Bible is my guide. I'm going to build my life on God's word. And then you get baptized as a Christian, publicly bringing out your faith. You go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You identify with Jesus by going down into the water, just like he went down into the grave, and coming out of the water as he came out of the grave. And now you're born again into his family with a new name, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit given to you. You're never too old. You're never too wise. And you're never too invested in your ways to repent of folly, sin, or unbelief. No matter what you have to change, give up, relearn. It is worth it for the promises of God that he is laying before you right now. And you don't serve a principle, some sort of force like in Star Wars. You serve a person, a loving, gracious, good father who can add what has been missing, who can make up what's been lost in your life, who can renew what has decayed. We serve the God of resurrection. He takes death and brings life out of it. He can extend your days. He can turn what is bitter sweet. Whatever you build upon the Lord and his words, that will stand and that will last and everything else will be blown away. So go out this week committed to being teachable, opening up the windows, letting in the light, asking, listening, remembering and applying what God is telling you. Teachability is the only shortcut to success. The only hope in getting unstuck, breaking plateaus, and stopping the decline, and beginning a new chapter in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would give us a spirit of teachability. We ask, God, that you would forgive us for our sin of pride and arrogance or rejecting being teachable, and that you would help us start again and rebuild Lord, we pray that you'd show us an area of our life where we can be more teachable to you and that you would fulfill your promises as we do our part in faith, trusting you, fearing you, humbly standing before you, and learning from you in the ways that you prescribe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.